0: Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rabina podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in our series, First Peter, hope in the midst of suffering. In this series, we will discover how to experience hope within suffering through learning how to embrace love, submission, and identity in the midst of challenges as we follow the example of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing. So as I mentioned, we are in this series uh, where we're unpacking and exploring the letter of 1 Peter and Pastor Scott was here last week and he uh, opened opened the series and showed us a bunch of different themes that were happening and we're going to continue still in chapter 1 together. And this morning, my hope is like there is so much in this passage that we could spend weeks on it. Um, And there's just two simple things. They're not actually that simple, but two things that I think today we would love to focus around. But we're going to read the passage together. So if you have your Bible, we'd love for you to open it. If you've got your phone, you can open the Bible app. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen for you. So we are reading from First Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 13 and go through to verse 21. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. So, obviously, there's a lot in there. Um, And there's two things, as I mentioned, two things that we're going to camp a little bit of time around this morning. They're going to be on the screen for you. The focus is because of Christ, you are holy. And because of Christ, you are called to be holy. And there's a distinction in these two uh, that we're going to recognise. And there's a piece of work that I think it requires us to do to understand that one of those is an identity piece, talks about who we are. And then the other one is almost a behavioural piece to talk about how we are to live. And I think that it's a both and in these. It's not just one or the other. And so I recognise that this morning, some people will resonate with maybe one over the other, but remember to hold those in tension that we are, because of Christ, we are holy, but we are also called to be and to live holy. So let's start off with that first one. You are holy. I wonder when I say that, what your reaction is. Do you think, oh Anna, no I'm not, or yeah, on a Sunday I am, or uh, I'd like to people to think that I'm holy, or like, no, that's so far out of my reach. What does holy actually mean? It's a very religious term. You're not surprised to hear it in church. You're not surprised when you read it in the Bible. But, but what does it mean for you to declare yourself as holy? Another word for holy might be set apart. Another word might be consecrated. Another word might be dedicated. These things are a clear picture that there's been a, distinct, a distinction made within you, that you are set apart because of Christ. And it's sacred and it's beautiful and it's the indwelling work of Christ in us that allows us to even fathom being able to say that we are holy, that we are set apart. And I think once we acknowledge this, once we receive this grace, once we believe in this salvation, once we understand the beautiful work that Christ did on the cross, it's then that we start to recognise that that may have changed things for us. That may actually adjust our identity. It might actually lead us to a future and eternity of hope. It might actually give us this uh, inheritance this glorious inheritance that we receive. Once we recognise those things, we could then maybe warm up to the idea of saying, oh, okay, well, maybe I am holy. When it's not our own work, when it's not how good we've been or our our decisions in life, when it's actually a decision that God made before the beginning of time to send His Son so that we could be set apart, then I think we can say, oh, well then maybe I am holy. Maybe that is something I've received. Maybe that is something that my identity is founded in. I love A.W. Tozer's quote on holiness. Helps us reveal this distinction. He says this, Holiness as taught in scriptures is not based upon knowledge on our part, Rather, it is based upon the resurrected Christ indwelling us and changing us into His likeness. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that nice to think, oh, actually, my identity is, is revolved around my decision to believe in Christ, but it's not actually then all based on how I have to work at it or my knowledge of the Bible or saying the right thing at the right time. No, this identity piece on holiness is all because of Christ. It's the indwelling work of Him that causes us to then recognise our identity is holy. I think that again though, we're resistant to it. If you had to like tick, am I holy or not? It's like, "Mm, I don't know, depends on the day. I think we're missing the point then. Because you can sit here and say, well, Anna, holiness is so unrealistic. The bench is too high. I don't think I'll ever be in a position to say that I've arrived at holy. And I think that again, it's because we are in that wrestle and in that tension of one day, we will be fully established as holy in the presence of God in eternity. But now we're still in the working out phase. And this 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 adjustment within us uh, and this challenge and this wrestle, I think lands when we remember that we were bought at a price, at a great costly, extreme sacrificial price. Remember in verse eighteen and nineteen, it says. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with what? With the precious blood of Christ, the perfect lamb without blemish or defect. When we fully know and experience and try to comprehend that it was such a costly, sacrificial price for us so that we may know God the Father. When we grasp that, we start to think, okay, well, maybe I am worthy of of such a title or such a identity. Maybe I'm not as worthless as I sometimes think. Maybe God loved me so much that He did send His Son. And I think so many people walk around this life and in our culture feeling completely worthless. They feel worthless of, of love. They feel not worthy to receive such a gift of grace. And maybe this morning you've wrestled with those thoughts of, am I worthy? Surely not. But then I think, when we inhabit those thoughts and we dwell there, we can belittle what Christ did on the cross because he actually made a statement to say, no, you are worthy. You were worth it. I did this willingly, willingly because I had love in my eyes for you. I had eternity and hope in my eyes for you. There's this rewriting of a narrative from worthless to Beautifully worthy of such grace. And it's, it's too much for us to comprehend. It's too much. But we were bought at a price. Because of Jesus, only because of Jesus, we can start to say, okay, I am set apart. I am holy. And I wonder today how you feel about that. I wonder if you know that. I, know if, I wonder if you're wrestling with that. I wonder if you're discrediting yourself from that. But I'm here to remind you today that because of Christ, you are holy. Part of my job and just like I guess probably my personality is that I love to analyse social trends. I love to see what's happening in our culture, I love to notice like what things people are getting swept up into, what the talk is. uh, Leading our young adults, I like to think, okay, what, what are young adults thinking about? What are they exploring? What are their peers doing? What's the culture saying? And one of the things that I thought was going to be a rather short phase has crept out to be a very long phase, And I don't know if you've noticed, but there seems to be a rising obsession about water bottles. Has anyone ever noticed that? Do you know that particularly with our younger demographic, they will go to a cafe and they will think that BYO might mean BYO water because they come with their water bottle and sit it down and they ignore the glasses that are on the table already, the jugs, the waitresses, like the whole thing, they'll just bring their own water. I wonder if you've had some people over for lunch and you've thought like they come into your house and you go to offer them, oh, would you like a water? And you're, oh, you've already got yours, okay. But there is this obsession with water bottles. And who would have thought that such a product would have such a long benchmark on the market? I didn't know that they would still be such an obsession. And I wanna remind you of what water bottles kind of used to be like. I've got some props. Chelsea, if you wanna bring some up for me. Thank you. I wonder if you remember these. I wonder if you remember that when you bought one of these, it was only a few dollars, if that, and it actually came with the product in it. You would buy a water bottle because you were thirsty and you'd open it and it would have water in it. And these bottles, you know, you would treat it for its function, not its aesthetic. And you would you know, do whatever with it, you would drink it, you'd forget it, you'd leave it somewhere, you'd buy a new one, you'd chuck it in your car, you'd squish it up, like whatever. It's a water bottle. Um, It had its right probably place in your life as just a water bottle. And uh, somewhere along the line, it transformed from this into this. And I wonder if you've seen a product that's like this as a bunch of different brands and it's so much better for the environment to move away from disposable and uh, one-use plastic. But sometimes I wonder, have we taken it too far? Because the way people treat these bottles is quite absurd. I once, and this is actually a true story, I once saw physical literal tears coming out from someone's eyes because this fell on the ground. It's not a child, it's a water bottle. And it was like the gasp when it hit the tiles and everyone rushes and says, is it okay? You're like, what? Anyway, I wonder, Why is there such a huge distinction in how we treat these things? Why is this careless, irresponsible, don't care, chuck it anywhere? And why is this a prized possession? And I think it's because even though it's culturally very relevant, I would say it's because this is costly, these are expensive. They were bought at a quite significant price. And so how we treat them is very different. Trivial common example for quite a powerful point, how do we treat our souls knowing that we were bought at such a price? Do we think that our souls, our beings, our our physical bodies, all of who we are, can just be treated carelessly with a nonchalant, a, a disregard, a casual kind of attitude? Do we not really care what goes in, what goes out? Are we... Kind of not noticing the quality or recognizing that we were bought at the ultimate price, do we care a little more? Are we aware of how we're treating our soul? Are we thinking about what goes in, what comes out? Because when we fully grasp that we were actually bought at such a price, it was such an investment, there was such an intentionality to it. We read earlier that it was before the beginning of creation that God had this in His, in His mind and in His plan. When there is such intentionality to it, such a cost, such a sacrifice, what do we do with that? Do we treat it well? Well? And I think that moves us into this second part where we're called to be holy. Because we are made holy because of the price that was purchased for us on the cross. But now we are called to do something with that. We are called to be holy. And when you have had such a change in your life, when you've accepted the love and the the grace of Jesus, and then nothing changes. What has actually changed in you? If there's no visible proof of invisible life, is there any fruit? Is there a sign that you are living in the wake of Christ? So when Peter commends us here to say, hey, be careful how you live, be holy for I am holy, it's because of in light of accepting our identity in Christ. Because we understand that we were bought at such a price and that causes us to live different. Be holy, for I am holy. Verse 13, it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in what all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. What is he saying here? Why does he start there? Well, he's saying with intentionality, with alertness, with a deliberate effort, set your hopes, your perspective, your direction, your gaze, on the grace that is going to be brought to you when Christ returns. Have eternity in your eyes. And now with the culture of your new family that you've been adopted in as a son, as a daughter of Christ, as that culture rubs off and affects you, live in this way. Do not conform to the ways that you used to do things. Don't conform to the ways that everyone else is doing things. As for you, as my child now with your new identity, be holy. Instead, be holy. He's called you out of darkness and into this glorious light. And so things need to change. Things in our life and in our heart and our perspective and our lifestyle and our behaviour should have a ripple effect. And once our identity is set, once we can recognise that, receive that, it then beckons us to then live out wholly as well. But you might be asking the question that I've been asking, is but what does that look like? How do I do that? Again, is that benchmark a little too high? Is that a little bit unrealistic? How do I live out this life that is holy? And I think that there's a word in there that is very wise of Peter to include. He says, do not conform. Do not conform to the evil ways that you used to do things. In uh, Romans, Paul says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This idea of strength and this idea of being deliberate is do not conform. Do you know how easy it is to conform? Very easy. You don't really have to do anything. You will just become wherever the culture current is taking you. But to not conform... Different story, very hard. Martin Luther King Jr, he says this about conformity. We are called to be people of conviction, not conformity. Of moral nobility, not social respectability. We are commanded to live differently and according to a higher loyalty. To be holy looks like living out our conviction. And I think that that question of loyalty is very pertinent. Where your loyalty is, your behaviour, your decisions, your life will probably follow. And so the challenge to us is, is our loyalty to Christ or is it to something else? Is it to your career? Is it to your family? Is it to your home? Where is your loyalty, that number one spot in your heart? Holy living though, don't hear me wrong, is not about living proud. To be holy and to walk around with such prowess is not at all the picture that's getting painted here. It's not at all the picture we see in Christ and his example to us when he was here on this earth. To live holy is not about comparison. It's not about being better than the person next to you. Holiness is for an audience of one. Holiness is allowing Christ to to rub off on you. It's not for a minute being proud. And unfortunately, our culture is not going to help you in the slightest. There's not much that you look around and you think, oh, this is a beautiful picture of holiness. don't think so. And so what we see and what we immerse ourselves in and what we're surrounded by is not necessarily shaping us towards this picture of holiness. So again, it calls for our deliberateness. It calls for our intentionality. It calls us for our strength, our tenacity, our perseverance. It's not easy, but it is so necessary. And part of my job as a leading leading catalyst is to help in transforming this conformity. We, a couple of years ago, recognised a real need for discipleship, a real need, well obviously, that's so part of the Christian walk, but this idea that our culture is not necessarily helping us to become our followers of Christ. And so what we need to do is create something that helps position people in a a prominent way to be formed in the ways of Jesus. And so we have a cohort of people this year, we have 31 incredible people from across our family participating in this investment, this deliberate positioning of discipleship and formation. And part of that role, I get to plan all of the retreats that we go. We go away four times a year amongst other things. Um, but I am continually, and it seems like all the time, just planning these events and these retreats. And if you've planned any kind of event before, this will really resonate with you. Um, It doesn't even need to be an event, like basically just if you have invited people over for dinner or if you've had a lunch gathering or something like that, you will know what I'm talking about when I just say two simple words, which is dietary requirements. I was involved a few weeks ago in uh, the catering of our conference and I like dietary requirements because it's a challenge, but they are very uh, prevalent at the moment and the diversity is growing. Um, But dietary requirements, you'll know, are increasing in our culture. I don't know why our bodies are now becoming more intolerant to things, but anyway. I wonder if you've ever had a moment where you might be new to the world of dietary requirements and you're sitting down with someone and having a meal with them and you've cooked and prepared for them and they're lactose and dairy intolerant so you know that you're not going to cook with cream, you're not going to add milk, you know, you go through all the checks and they ask you, oh, just, is this dairy free? And, yes, it's dairy free. I tried really hard. And then it's kind of like mid-meal that you remember, but I did cook with butter, but surely that's fine, Right. And you have that notice where you're like, do I tell them? Uh, well, it doesn't really matter if you tell them, they will know in a few hours what you put in there. And I noticed that like, they become really polite about it. If you do tell them, you're like, I'm so sorry. I just, there's a tiniest bit of butter. And they're like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. And then it's normally their spouse that looks at them and is like, oh, no. We all know what the next few hours are going to entail. And there's a very visceral and prominent response uh, in our body when there's that intolerance kind of starts to take place. And I, I bring up this example of intolerances. Again, trivial example, um, quite challenging point, is that I think a walk towards holiness a walk towards the ways of Jesus, a close following of Him in His wake and His holiness means that we should similarly adopt this kind of intolerance to sin. And what I mean there is not to other people's sin. It's not an intolerance and judgment and perspective on everyone else. It's the same kind of visceral, prominent response that we have at a heart level when we engage with sin. I think the growing in our holiness means that sin has an effect on us that maybe it didn't previously. Maybe we were unaware of it, maybe we were dull to it, maybe we didn't care as much about it. But when we have this reaction to sin in our bodies, in our souls, in our hearts, It causes us to recognise it. It causes us probably grief. When we grow in our holiness, we do have an intolerance and a reaction to the sin in our heart. It grieves us because it grieves God. And when we're called to live holy, it is in the big things, in the big decisions in career, and where you live, in who you marry, and in your family, all the big decisions of life. But I think that there's also a call to holiness in the small things, in the small decisions, the things that shape us, the things we watch, the things we listen to, the conversations we engage with, the people we surround ourselves with. All that we are consuming and and feeding ourselves determines and shapes who we're becoming and filters a sense of our holiness. And so when I talk about this, this intolerance, this reaction to sin that happens in our life, it's because the Holy Spirit is making us more aware with beautiful counsel and kindness but of the ways that we kind of fall short in the glory of God. And the mistake that we make is that we think that then this reaction should cause us to be filled with shame. It should cause us to be filled with condemnation of worthlessness. But actually, the response when we are living in a place of holiness the response to this intolerance and this reaction that we have in our hearts towards sin is actually repentance. Because when we are living in the wake of Christ, we know that there's no condemnation in Christ. When we remember that we were bought at such a price, when we know our identity is firm in Him, we know that then, with sin and when we mess up, which we will, we come to Christ in repentance and we are offered the beautiful, indescribable experience of forgiveness. It is like the antidote, the EpiPen to our intolerance. It is so powerful that forgiveness is offered again and again and again and again, and there is grace and there is love in Christ's eyes. To live holy means that we're not living in that darkness of shame. It means that we are offered beautiful forgiveness when we repent. So when we watch the wrong things, when we are harsh with our words, when we are unkind towards people, when we have spite, when we compare, when we're jealous, when we're greedy, when we're envious, all of the unfortunate human experiences that creep into our selfish heart that is sometimes riddled with sin, it's holiness that says you can bring that towards God for forgiveness. And that is the beautiful freedom that comes with the holiness of God. It's a gift like no other. It is unique to the Christian faith. It is why we're able to say where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Because we are not bound by our weight of our sin, but because of Christ dying and resurrecting into glory, He's made a way for this exchange to happen. So to summarise today as we come to land We read a scripture like this and can feel maybe at first challenged, maybe it doesn't resonate with us, maybe we think it's for someone else, but today I hope that you're thinking, okay, my identity is actually in Christ and it is holy. I have been set apart because of Christ. And secondly, when we recognise that, when we know that we've been bought at a price, that we are costly, there's been sacrifice, it causes us to live different. It causes us to treat our lives differently. It causes us to treat our bodies, our minds, our souls, all that we are with intentionality and with deliberateness to walk in the wake of Christ towards holiness. I wonder where you're sitting today. Are you unsure of your identity? Are you being drawn in and can you sense the love that is in Christ when he invites you into a place to be set apart, to be consecrated for him? Do you know that beauty and that freedom and that security and that confidence that we have when Christ is saying you are holy because of me? Is that you today? Or are you in a place where you are feeling challenged and convicted, like I've been all week? Where because of that sacrifice, because of that identity, we are now actually called to live different. We are called to walk in holiness, to pursue it, to be holy in all that we do. Are you being challenged by that this morning? I think across this room and everyone watching online, there would be both of those in our presence. And so we're going to just spend a moment responding. I think when you read a passage like this, when you've heard a message like this, and when I've experienced writing a message like this, it causes you to want to actually do something about it. It's not enough to just say, oh, that's a great piece of scripture or that's a, a, good, a good sermon. You actually want to do something and have something changed because of these words. So we're going to create space for that. And I'd love for you to join with me and stand if you're able. And we're just going to pray together and create a little bit of time to reflect. A little bit of time to be still before God to let these words in this scripture settle, to be able to internalise for a moment with God and to say, well, what is this for me? What are you asking of my heart? What are you showing me of your character? What are you drawing me into? How can I live in reverent fear, in beautiful sacrificial love? What does that look like? for you this week. So we're just gonna take a moment, just be still before God. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for the truth that is found in Scripture. Lord, I thank you that we are even able to pursue or think or imagine the idea of holiness all because of you. I thank you it does not rest on what we've done, but it is a beautiful gift because of what you've done, what you did on the cross, what you continue to do in our lives through your Holy Spirit. There is a beautiful activating and awakening to your holiness happening here this morning. And first of all, I just want to focus on those of us in the room who are especially responding to that first part of the message, that you are holy because of what Christ has done. He has set you apart. I just felt challenged that there's probably some people in the room who have had a different lens of, of religion and pressure and a burden when it comes to all things to do with church and God. But that God actually wants to rewrite that script over your life and to say that this is an invitation, an invitation of love. And that He would actually love to invite you to become part of His family. And that might be new to some of you, maybe some of you watching online, maybe some in the room who it's, it's kind of clicking. It's not what you thought, but it's, it's drawing you. You're intrigued. And I'd love to pray with you, if that's you. We've got section leaders around this auditorium. They're wearing a white lanyard and, and they're part of our prayer team. And so they're just gonna be observing at the moment, um, kind of if there's anyone around them that they can be praying with. But if there's someone here today, there might just be one, I don't know, there might be 20. Um, if there's someone here today who just feels like, actually, Anna, that invitation does sound like the, next, the right next step for me. I would love to receive Jesus. I would love to start following Him. I, w- I want that forgiveness that you talk of. I want that grace. I want that freedom. If that's you today, would you like to just pop your hand up so I know who I'm praying with? If that's you Just wait a moment longer. I know it's a big decision. It can feel scary. But if you'd like to pray to receive Christ today, to receive the love of God, not the condemnation, would you like to just pop your hand up? Thank you, Jesus. Beautiful. All right, well, church, we're going to pray together. And we're going to pray just a few lines at a time. I'm going to say a few if you can repeat them. And this prayer is, I always say this, it's not a magical prayer, but it is a real spiritual and special one to start your journey with Christ. So I'm just gonna say a few words and then you say after me. So I'm gonna say, Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Son, Jesus, that He died and rose again for me. I'm sorry for ignoring it. Open my eyes to Your love. I receive your salvation today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or our Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.